Well, Northside family, it is good to see you again. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, my name's Nate, one of the pastors here. And uh, the last two weekends I was gone, I had a chance to go to the Holy Land with some of our elders and leaders here in the church. And uh, it was an incredible time to learn. It was kind of a mind-melting trip for 10 hours a day. Uh, we went out there and learned and had all sorts of opportunity. We went there, one, uh, to learn, but also to go and scout for a trip to say, hey, would it be awesome if we took some people here from Northside in the future there? And so I want to make you guys aware of that opportunity. We'll kind of let you guys know about that coming up in the future, but so glad that you're here. And if, would you, uh, if you would, would you welcome everybody in our video venue and watching online right now in our live stream? You know, we're, everybody matters, whether you're on the road, kind of tuning in. My sister watches this over in Romania, and uh, this is just a cool way that technology blesses us. But I remember growing up in church. Uh, I went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Anybody have that? That was kind of your story a little bit. And, and on Sunday night, what I found to be interesting in all the churches I grew up is the pastor ran out of anything to say. And uh, what they would do is this, they would bring in guest people and a lot of times missionaries to come in and talk about what they did and where they were. And they would have these slideshows and half the slides were upside down, you know, and they're like, this is this. And then I would go into like comatose land, you know, I would just fall asleep as a five-year-old. Uh, but I, I want to do just a little bit of that. I'm not, not going to take up a bunch of time, but I just want to show you some pictures of my trip there. Man, this is an incredible moment for me to learn uh, just about really where Jesus walked. And a couple of my favorite spots, just a let you guys see. One of my favorites was this. It was on the mount. It was a mountain called Masada. And uh, Mount Masada is where uh, actually King Herod built one of his palaces into a mountain, which this guy was insane. Uh, but this was the view of it. And the reason why I looked at it is like, Nate, that's just a desert. Who cares about that? You know, there's nothing really cool about it. You know, you can see the Dead Sea off to the left and it was dead. You know, we checked that out, you know, a little bit. But, uh, but the thing that really, the reason why this struck me was this whole desert area right there that you see, this was the path that the Israelites took out of Egypt to the promised land. And it began to make my faith come to real going, because sometimes we can read the stories of Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus, and we can hear this in Moses, and he had a staff, and the Israelites, and 40 years in the desert, and we're like, sometimes we go, oh, this is make-believe, and we go, no, this is the path they took. And it gets up to 130 degrees there in the desert, and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to back off calling them out for complaining of living in the desert for 40 years. I'm like, I would be in that group after spending some time there. But it made my faith come alive. One of my favorite heroes in the Old Testament is Joshua. And to go, Joshua walked through that desert. And man, my faith began to come more alive. Another picture I loved was the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus taught us Matthew 5 through uh, chapter 7 where it's really the Christian manifesto. If you want to learn, if, so, if you said point out one place, what does it mean to be a Christian? I want to encourage you to go read Matthew chapter 5 where it's called the Beatitudes where Jesus gives his new manifesto. What does it mean to be a follower of him? And this is where he did it. And I'm like, yeah, I understand why he did that, man. I would preach there too if I was him. You know, this beautiful view of Sea of Galilee. And he spoke there and you could hear your voice echo around. And I'm like, man, this is incredible seeing this stuff. And uh, we had an opportunity to go to the Western Wall where, where a, a lot, thousands of people come to visit and to pray because it's on the side of the temple there in Jerusalem. And uh, while I was sitting there praying, I didn't realize this, but people write cards and they stick it in the Western Wall. And while I was there, I had uh, one of our letterhead Northside cards. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to write Northside's name on my prayer. And I just prayed for you guys. I was just sitting there thanking God, going, God, that you, one, you would give us the gift of the church, that God, you would give us the gift of Northside, and Lord, that I have an opportunity to be a part of this. And I was just grateful for you guys. 
And I was praying, I was going, God, would you unite us? Would you make us together in heart and mind and soul for your purposes, for your name? And I just prayed for you guys. And then this card was too big, so it kept falling out of the wall. But, you know, it was like I would jam it in there and finally got it to stick. Uh, but that was one of the amazing moments. Another one was this. Sometimes you've heard Jesus pray this prayer, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I long to gather you like a hen would gather its chicks. You know, and we, we read those prayers and we go, where was he praying that? Maybe out in the desert. This is on the top of Mount of Olives. This was the view that Jesus was looking at when he prayed that prayer. There's times that we drive by city lines, skyscraper lines, and we see cities, you see Louisville, you see the knobs. One of my favorite places in the Henryville Forestry is I can look down all the way down to downtown Louisville and I can see in the southern Indiana, I can see into Louisville. And man, when we have a view, it changes our perspective, doesn't it? And man, to sit here and to go, Jesus prayed from Jerusalem from this view. And it began to make me realize, what am I looking at and, what am I, and who am I praying for? It was a challenging moment for me. Uh, one of my favorite pictures, those two, is uh, this is the last picture. Is uh, my wife took this actually in the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus prayed on his last night before he went to the cross. And uh, this olive tree right here is, they say, between 800 and 1,000 years old. I can't. I mean, like my mind can't wrap around this. It's like every day I'm like, what? You know, everything looked like Disney around there because you know we have nothing that old in our country. There's thousands of years old, and this is how spiritual my wife is. She's more spiritual than I am. She takes a picture, and what does the light make in the tree? And I'm like, yeah, she should be the pastor, not me. You know what I'm saying? Like, she's way more, she's way more pastoral than I am. And she's like, look at this picture. And I'm like, of course you would get that picture. But it was just these moments, man. I'm like, wow, Jesus, you, you stood here and you prayed. You stood here, and of course, I got picked on. We were having uh, a dinner out in an outdoor cafe for lunch, actually, and one of the vendors walked by. I took, we got a video of this. Uh, this guy picked me out. He's like, come here, come here. You need this. You need this. And uh, I think he was profiling me a little bit uh, for this, uh, but he said I needed this, and uh, for some reason, I blended right in. Uh, and I said... Uh, I found my people, man. I know where I belong. But it was an incredible trip, man. It was an incredible trip. We had an incredible time and all this stuff. But I'll be honest, you know, after, you know, about 10 hours a day for, you know, seven, eight days of doing that, man, we'd come back to the hotel room and, and we, would de we would debrief, you know, what God speak to you? What did he share with you? What did he say to you? All this other stuff. And I remember one night early on, I, I just kind of confessed. I said, man, this is great. Uh, but I said, I was... Uh, I said, I know this sounds, I don't know, I don't know if this sounds selfish or what, but I said, I think I was ex expecting more. And they said, what do you mean you were expecting more? You're in the Holy Land, you better watch yourself, you know. And I said, no, I just, I, I feel like I was expecting more to maybe happen in my heart. To see Jerusalem and to see these sights and to see where Jesus walked, I was expecting, I don't know, man, like a supercharge of Jesus or something to happen. And I began to realize this. There is nothing more powerful in this world than the Holy Spirit, the power and the presence of Jesus in our life right here and right now. This is the power of Jesus. It is incredible to go there to learn. It is incredible to see thousands of year old you know, opportunities. But this is what I learned. There is no building. There is no site. There is no tree. There is no city line that represents or is stronger than the power and the presence of Jesus in our life. And it is great to go and learn there. But what I quickly learned was this. I had the wrong expectations of going there. 
I thought I was going to go there and get more. And Jesus says, no, my more is my presence in your life. That's a matter of fact, that's why we're doing this series called Be Rich. Some of you saw that sign when you came in, be like, be rich. Can't wait to hear this sermon. I want to get rich, you know. Let's all be rich. Well, what we find is this. This is always what's in competition for our hearts and our soul. I found it myself. There I am in Jerusalem wanting more. And God's going, no, 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 no. I've given you everything you need. I've given you everything you need. That's why last weekend when we opened up this series, we talked about the first way to be rich when we're looking at 1 Timothy chapter 6 in the series. We're just going to hang out in this chapter. If you want to read this every day this week, I want to encourage you, 1 Timothy chapter 6. But what we realized was this, this idea of being content is how we start by being rich. we got to be content. This is what it says. Paul is writing to his protege, Timothy, who's leading the church in Ephesus. And listen to what he says. He says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment, that God, you are enough. I don't need more. God, you are enough for me. My son Carter, he's three years old. He knows Christmas time starting to happen. You know, we're putting on Pandora Christmas music already. I know, I know, you know, I'm breaking all the rules. But he'll, he'll ask me this, Daddy, how many more days till Christmas? Right? It's already in his mind because he wants more. When the mail comes, he hands me the magazine and circles everything he wants, you know. And, and he doesn't understand time, but Daddy, how many more days? And the other day, I was like, 45 more days. He goes, how long is that? You know, and he's just, you know, he's, he's just ready for more. He knows Christmas, I'm going to get more. And there's no contentment. I'm like, dude, all right, then we can throw away all your toys right now, you know. And that's it. But there's no contentment. There's always this idea of more. And listen to what Paul says. He says, people who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap. In the words of Star Wars, it's a trap, Right? He goes, hey, if you want to get rich, you're going to fall into temptation and it's a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. Has anybody here made a financial decision that they regret? I'm not going to make you raise your hand, right? You know, some of you are already quick to it. Two hands I see over there. Some are like, yes, I'm glad I'm not alone. But you and I both know the regret of those financial decisions, don't we? Sometimes it takes us years to get out from underneath it. We go, man, that one decision cost me. It didn't cost me a few bucks. It cost me a few years. It cost me some credit scores. It cost me all this stuff. He says, don't fall into that. And he says this, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. When you begin to love money. And then we go, yeah, that's the world. You know, the world is so evil and the world, all this stuff. But listen to what he says. He said, some people, though, eager for money, have wandered from the faith. See, sometimes we always think it's the world who's greedy. And Paul is saying this, no, there are Christians who have become greedy. There are Christians who are no longer saying, God, you are enough, but I need to get rich. I need more. And he says, and here's what happens. And they pierce themselves with many griefs. See, this is why this whole idea of being rich is so important because a lot of times we try to get rich and we have no idea the trap and the temptation that we come into and we fall into and what it does to us, what it does to our family, what it does to our credit, what it does to our extended family, what it does to everybody else around us. 
Matter of fact, I was reading this story because sometimes we think money just has such a hold on everybody. I found this fascinating. There's this NBA star named DeMar DeRozan. And uh, two years ago, he signed a contract, a five-year NBA max contract, a five-year $139 million contract. I can't even, I can't even like process that. He was going to be the star for the Toronto Raptors, and then the next year they traded him away. And he was complaining about being traded, and everybody ripped him for complaining. They're like, what are you complaining about, man? You have 139 million reasons not to complain. And listen to what he said. I found this fascinating. Listen to what DeMar DeRozan said when someone asked him, why are you so upset about being traded? He said, people say, what, what are you depressed about? You can buy anything you want. I wish everyone in the world was rich so they would realize money isn't everything. What you hear in DeMar DeRozan's words are this. It's from Mark chapter 8, verse 36. Jesus said this first. DeMar understands it perfectly well. Jesus says this in Mark chapter 8. He says, what good is it for a man to gain the world but forefoot what? Soul. That's what DeMar's saying. DeMar's going, $139 million can't buy my soul. See, oftentimes what we don't realize is when we try to get rich instead of being rich in God, we lose our soul. What we're going to do today is we're just going to look at three verses, and we're going to actually look primarily at one verse today and two verses next weekend, because this idea of be rich, it is everywhere, impacts everything in us, and man, it goes into our soul. It goes into our very being. If you have your Bible, you can open up to 1 Timothy chapter 6. And again, I want to encourage you just this week and in the series, it'll be, you know, next weekend we'll end the series. But I want to encourage you just to read 1 Timothy chapter 6 every day if you want to. But man, there is so much to soak on. But listen what Paul says to Timothy in verse 17 through 19, because he calls us now, all right, we're going to build on contentment. And he goes, here's another way I want you to continue to be rich. And this is what he says. He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And then he says this, command them to do good. He's talking about the church. Command them to do good, to be rich. There's our phrase, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. And in this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Do you realize that God wants you to take hold of the life that is truly life? See, sometimes when we think about God, we go, oh, God just wants to get something from me. He doesn't want to give me anything. No, God wants you to get a hold of the life that is truly life. This is why Paul is telling Timothy, go back and command the church, which matter of fact, this is a military word that he uses twice. Command them. He says, call them back into order. I found it fascinating that we had a military word on Veterans Day weekend. And I just want to take a moment if you're a veteran in this room, would you stand up so we can appreciate you and what you've done for this country and to serve so many people? Wow, man. Thank you, guys. Your selfless service, no one will fully understand what your families go through. 
No one fully knows, but you know. You guys are a rare breed of people who serve and lay it on the line. But here's a question, especially for you guys, I'd love for you to answer. If someone gives you a command and you go, I don't want to. What would your commanding officer respond with, right? Right, they're going, <laughs> Billy's going, we're in trouble, right? You know, it's like, dude, you're like, you don't say that. What's amazing is this, Paul gives this military word to Timothy. He says, command the church. Call them into order. Call them back into the way that God has for them. Call them into the life that is truly life. I want you to have this. And here's what he wants us to understand between these three verses, simply this. And we're, and we're going to spend time breaking these up. But this is what he wants us to understand. If we're going to be rich, this is how we need to understand it. That we are blessed to be a blessing. If you want to understand the whole story of the Bible, if you go, Nate, can you summarize this whole thing in one sentence? This is it. We are blessed by God to be a blessing in this world. You want your purpose? Be blessed. Let Jesus be your blessing so that you can be a blessing to the world. Veterans, you guys are a blessing to so many people because you serve and you lay it down and you help. And you think of others before yourself. You're willing to put your life on the line. That's why there's so much respect and so much honor. This is what Christ has done for us. He's going, I have come here to bless you so you can be a blessing to others. Today we're just going to talk about being blessed. Next week we're going to talk about being a blessing. And some of you go, oh, okay, I'm blessed to be a blessing. Why is that so important? You know why this is important? That we take time to understand God's blessing for us? It's because God has blessed us because you and I, we're broken. You guys are admitted. You're already on the hook. You guys have all made bad financial decisions. I've made bad financial decisions. We've made mistakes. And here's the thing. God says, I want to bless you because you are broken. That's why I just want to look at this one verse, verse 17, because there are some broken things in our life that we're not even aware of. But God says, I want to dig into. And here's the thing. There, here's the brokenness of our life. There, here there are a couple broken ways. The three things we're going to look at today are this. There's the broken way of our thinking. A lot of times we don't think we're blessed. And we have this broken thinking. We have this broken living. Sometimes we think we don't need God's blessing. We're fine. We don't need him. And then we have this broken way of spending in our life. And God goes, man, I want to come into your brokenness. I want to bless you so that you can be a blessing. And I just want to take some time just looking at verse 17. Because what he begins to talk about with this, he says this opening line. When, because a lot of times we have this broken thinking where he says, Timothy, command those who are rich in this present world. Now, some of you, as soon as you heard that, you went, great, this sermon is not for me because I'm not rich, right? Good, I just got to sit back and drink my coffee and let the rich people deal with their sinfulness here today, you know? <laughs> That's our problem. All the time, if I were to ask you, are you rich? You would say, what? Oh, I'm not rich. Who's rich? It's always someone else, right? Matter of fact, yesterday before I came in, I asked my daughter, Lily, uh, you know, she's uh, in first grade now. She's starting to read. And so I said, hey, I want to read with you the verses I'm going to preach on. And we read these verses together. And I asked her, I said, Lily, are we rich? She goes, no. <laughs> and I went, and I wanted to see what it was a first grader thing. I said, Lily, why are we not rich? She looked at me. She goes, 
there's no piles of money around. (laughs) I found it fascinating that a first grader already has a view of not being rich. We don't even know the broken ways that we're thinking, do we? I said, Lily, I said, uh, do you like our house? Yeah. Yeah. I said, uh, do you like your room that you share with Carter? You like your bed? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I said, you like the, the swing set we have in our backyard? Oh, yeah. I said, you like the minivan that mom drives you around in? Yeah. I said, uh, we're rich, aren't we? She goes, Yeah. But it was amazing how already it's formed in her mind, we're not rich. Because we don't have piles of money. I'm like, I don't know if you make like carpet out of money or like what you do. But there's always this mindset. I I began to do a little bit of research. One thing I found out was this. If you make $35,000 in your job, you are in the top 1% of the entire world. $35,000, top 1% of the world. 71% of our world lives on less than $10 a day. Do the quick math. That's $3,650 a year. And that's 70% of our world. My whole problem is this. I'm always thinking I never have enough. I'm not rich. DeMar DeRozan's rich. And he's going, I wish you were rich so you can know that money won't make you rich. And I'm like, well, loan me a million bucks. I'll give it a whirl. You know what I'm saying? Like, like I want to identify in your pain, Damar, you know. But it's always this tension. It's always this. I remember in junior high, there was one time I was back to school shopping. My parents took me new blue jeans, new shoes. I got, you know, his bugle boy jeans, British night shoes. You know what I'm saying? Like, I thought I was fly, man. I thought this was going to be a great school year. If you don't look good, dress good, right? You know, it's one of those things. And I remember going into school and then there was this new line of jeans that had come out that all these other dudes had called Gap. <laughs> Immediately was embarrassed of my bugle boys, you know? You know, like Bugle Boys is done, man. And I remember just in junior high already thinking, I got new clothes, but it's not enough. It's not enough. I want, I, want, I want more. And Paul says, hey, Timothy, command those who are rich in this present world. And we're more rich than we ever care to admit, aren't we? And I'm not saying we don't go through hard financial times. Now, I'm not saying everybody's just all well off here, but I'm, I'm, I'm beginning to realize the way I think is more broken than I realize. And oftentimes I will do, oh, if I can just get here, if I can get this, 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 and this, then everything will work out. And I go, no, God, you are the one who makes me rich. Your blessing, your grace is what makes me rich. Then he says this. He calls out the broken way of living. He says, he says you got to let them know, man, they're not thinking right, Timothy. He says, then, you got to understand they're not living right. He says, because I need you to command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. Not to be arrogant. Here, here's a stat of America. I, I don't know about the rest of the world, but this is what I know about America. This is true about us as a country. Overall, this isn't true about every individual, but overall statistics show this, that the more you make, the less you give. How is it that when we have more, it doesn't make us more generous? Here's why. We begin 
to let money define us. It's not wrong to make money. Some of you guys are entrepreneurs, unbelievable. You have a hard work ethic. You have all these ideas, unbelievable. Man, God, that is a gift from God. Here's the problem. The problem isn't if we can make money. The problem is this, when we begin to let money make us. When we begin to let money be our idol. Matter of fact, since my daughter didn't think she was rich, I took $20 from her. And uh, no, I didn't. I didn't do that, man. I didn't do that. You're like, my gosh, you're the pastor. No, she needs to learn. No, but so what I, this is mine. I didn't take it. All right. For the record. Here's the thing with, with 20 bucks. A lot of times we can go, well, money's evil. Money will make you corrupt. Money, money will make you funny. Let's just sit and watch what money does here. Wouldn't it be awesome if God made it get up and run off the table? Like that would be like the best sermon illustration. It's not going anywhere, is it? Who makes money go places? We do. We do. It's just going to lay there, man. Money doesn't hurt anybody. It's just paper. What begins to hurt is when we begin to let money make us. And Paul is telling Timothy, he's not saying, go around, tell the world, quit being greedy. He's going, no, tell the Christians not to be arrogant. Because we know this, there's nothing worse in this world than an arrogant Christian, is there? There is nothing worse than a representation of Christ to this world than a Christian who actually doesn't represent Christ. So this is why he's saying, he's going, don't, don't, don't be arrogant. We all have this unbelievable opportunity, especially in this country, to make money. We've had more jobs available than we've ever had in our lives. This is unbelievable. But he's saying, is this, don't let money make you. Don't let it be what you worship. Don't let it be your identity. Don't let it rule your life. See, this is what happens. Everything that's an idol in our life actually starts out as something good. Nothing wrong with money. It's when we make money our ultimate that it begins to take our soul. And so we work so hard to gain the whole world and we lose our soul. One of my favorite passages is James chapter 4, verse 6. It just, I love the book of James. It just shoots straight with you. It doesn't kind of mince anything. It just simply says this. It says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the what? Humble. Some of you feel like you've got to earn something. You've got to prove something in order for God to bless you. Do you realize God just says, I want you to humble yourself before me? You want to receive my blessing in your life? You want to be rich more than try to get rich? Just humble yourself and say, God, I'm here. Everything I have is a gift from you. We're going to talk about that more next week. But Psalm chapter 24 says this. It says, everything in the world and on earth is the Lord's. Everything is his. We, we cannot be proud. We're going, no, God, everything is a gift from you. And when we don't realize that, here's what happens. It begins to go into broken ways of our spending. This is why he says, the broken way of spending, Paul says, hey, address this. Tell them, don't put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. It's like, Paul, how did you know what was going to be happening in 2018? Here's what we need to understand. God's truth 
is timeless. It's eternal. It can be from 2,000 years ago. It doesn't matter. It's true today. If it was true then, it's true today. But here's a lot of our problem. The reason why we spend a lot of things, we say stuff like this. Well, what if I get sick? Or what if I don't have enough to retire? And here's our problem. Let me just kind of bring this to the light. You and I will always wonder if we ever have enough. We are just going to wonder. We are going to live there. We're going to live in that tension till we either die or Christ comes back. We are always going to wonder, am I going to have enough? Will it be enough? Oh, what if this happens? What if this happens? I took a picture off of Google of our stock market from the past 10 years. And I couldn't believe where we were just 10 years ago. Some of you remember that. Some of you, you're still feeling the effects of it, even though the market hit a record high. The highest the Dow has ever hit was on October 3rd when we hit over 26,000 on the Dow. But some of you, you go, it doesn't matter because what I lost in 2008, even though it's a record high, I still haven't made up from what I've lost. But here we are, we see all these trajectories, we see all these things, and we're going, this is the largest the market has ever been. And if that's the case, today, why don't all of us put all of our life savings in the stock market after church? Who's with me? But guys, it's at the highest it's ever been. Why are you not going to do that? Why am I not going to do that? It's uncertain. If I do that, I might not get the return back. See, it's not wrong to plan for the future. It's not wrong to invest. What Paul is saying is this. What's wrong is to put our hope in wealth. It's wrong to go that money is going to fix everything. Back to the theologian P. Diddy. More money. More problems. I thought money would fix everything. Some of you run down that, that trail. See, it's not wrong to be entrepreneur. It's not wrong to create wealth. It's wrong when we trust wealth more than we trust God. Because it's uncertain. See, this is what Paul's calling us back to. He's going, no, no, no. And here's the deal. Here's what we need to understand. One, you're always going to live with this tension of what if, what if, what if, what if. What if this happens? What if this happens? You know what? You and I, we are always going to have that scenario in our heads. It'll never leave us. This is why Proverbs chapter 9, 10 says this. He says, you're going to fear either the future or we're going to fear the Lord. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Here's the thing. You and I, we're going to live with fear for the rest of our life. Let's just get that out. Even when God blesses us, we're going to wonder if that's enough, right? Because even when he gives us something good, we say stuff like this. I mean, God's really blessing me right now, but I'm just wondering when the other shoe's going to what? Well, when is it going to drop? I know he's blessing me, but I... Uh, and we live in fear. See, this is why Scripture calls us back to putting our fear in the Lord. And what it means to be if not afraid of God, what it means to be is to be in awe of God. To allow God to bless us in our brokenness because our brokenness, our fear will always come back. It will always come out. It will always be a part of our life. So how do we be rich? Paul says this. This is what you do. Here's what it simply is this. To be rich means this. To simply put 
your hope in God. That sounds simple, doesn't it? Boy, it's hard, though. He says, more than putting it in wealth, more than putting anything else, put your hope in God. Well, what does that mean? Here's what it means. Let God be enough. God, I want, I'm going to let you be enough. I'm afraid of the future. I'm afraid I might not have enough to retire. I'm afraid about this. I'm afraid, okay, God's going, let it out. Let me know. Let me into your brokenness. Let me into your fears. Let me into your past. Let me into your decisions. I'm not afraid of your brokenness. Just let me in on it. Let me come in on this. Man, he's saying, hey, come after this. And this is why he says this. He says, to put your hope in God. And here's why, you ready? Because he has richly provided us with what? Everything. For our what? Is that your view of God? Is your view of God that he has richly provided us with everything for our enjoyment? Now, some of you are going, oh, I bet Paul's living it up somewhere, getting royalties off the Bible, drinking a, you know, an umbrella drink somewhere on a beach. I bet that's what he's doing. You know where Paul's writing this letter from? Anybody have a guess? Prison. Prison. And what Paul is saying is this, I'm allowing God to be enough. I'm not putting my hope in well. I'm not putting my hope in the mark. Hey, I'm not doing, what I'm doing is, God, I am putting my hope in you because you have richly provided me with everything for our enjoyment. Anybody have a grandma that you went to her house and the couch still had the plastic on it? <laughs> you know, oh, it's a new couch. Oh, loving it, right? You know, you don't get to enjoy it. And you don't enjoy it because, well, like, hey, this might be the only couch I ever get to buy. One of my buddies called me this week. He's been kind of cool. I've been investing in him. He just graduated college, getting his master's, about done with this. And it's so funny. We had this great conversation this week. He called me. I missed his call. We said we had time to talk. And I said, man, what's going on? And he just said this to me. He goes, uh, he goes man, need, need some prayer. I said, yeah. He goes, got a job offer. I said, dude, that's great. I said, well, you know, what are you worried about? He goes, well, you know, you know, he started explaining the situation. You know, he went to school for this job. Uh, they, they, instead of they're going to skip an internship and just they're made him an offer. They want him to come in. I go, oh, dude, that's great. That's great. They're going to make you offer. And then my thought is they're going to make you live in Kansas. You know, they, you know you're going you're to have to move. You're going to have to go somewhere you don't want to live. I said, and I said, what else? He goes, well, I get, I get to live where I want to live. I said, that's great, man. That's awesome. You got a job offer. It's what you went to school for. This and this and this and this. And I said, so, and I could just tell there's a hesitancy. I said, what are you afraid of, man? I don't know, man. <laughs> like he just, I went, so let's play this out. You went to school for it. You trusted God with what he's put inside of you. He's opened a door for you. It's where you want to be. But isn't it funny that we're still afraid, even in the midst of God's blessings? I read in this passage, he goes, man, I needed that. Put your hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. 
You know, one of my biggest problems is this. God blesses me, and I don't take time to enjoy his blessings. I don't take enough time, not literally, but figuratively in my life, to take the plastic off the couch and go, God, thank you. I don't deserve this. Man, thank you. God, I don't deserve your grace. Thank you. Thank you. See, he blesses us because we're broken. I was telling my wife about this sermon, and she gave me this incredible quote from one of her favorite authors, again, more spiritual than I. And um, it's by this author, Anne Voskamp. It's from her book called The Broken Way. Phenomenal book. And listen what Anne says in this book about our brokenness. I love how she opens this question. Because we ask this question all the time. Well, what if, Nate? What if this? What if that? What if all these things? Listen to what she says. She said, what if the deeper you know your own brokenness, the deeper you can experience your own belovedness? See, we don't want to know our brokenness, do we? We don't want to admit to the broken ways of our thinking and the broken ways of our living and the broken ways of our spending. Anne says, what if we know the deeperness of our brokenness so we can know a deeperness of God's love for us? Put your hope in God who has richly provided us with everything for our enjoyment. My question for you today is this. Where's your hope? Where's your hope? It's easy how seductive things can be in our life. That's why right now our volunteers are going to go back and get ready to serve communion. And we're going to do communion a little bit different today. I love this opportunity. I love this time to think. And what I'm going to do is this. I'm going to give us some time for you to simply answer and think about that question with God. We're going to put some scripture up on the screen. I want to invite you, if you're a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus, to take the bread and the juice. Or maybe today you're going, no, today I'm going to put my hope in Jesus. And I want to invite you, if that's you, man, to take this communion, to say, no, I'm putting my hope into him. And what I want you to do during this moment is simply this. As you look at the scriptures... Just answer this one question. Just be open and honest with God. Where's your hope? Where's your hope? Oh, don't don't put your hope in wealth. It is so uncertain. Put your hope in God who richly blesses us with everything for our enjoyment. To enjoy God. See, that's what we do when we take communion. We come back, not because of God, I've messed up again. We come back to know, go, God, you have blessed me because I am broken. You have blessed me with Jesus and what he did going to the cross, paying for my sin to take away the sins of the world. And I'm putting my hope into you. And what I want to do right now is when they pass the tray, I just want you to hold on to the bread and hold on to the juice. And then when everybody has an opportunity who wants to participate here, we'll take it together. And celebrate that we have a hope that is beyond anything in this world. So right now as they pass the bread and the juice, if you're going to participate, hold on to the bread, hold on to the juice, and then I'll lead us as we take this together.